last week we began our consideration of the covenant's promise. And we read that that's actually biblical language in Ephesians. Um, we, we started considering the covenants of promise with the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, again, these covenants of promise are the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, and the Davidic covenants. And these three together uh, can be considered to make up what is known as the Old Covenant. Um, <clears throat> we talked about from the uh, Renahan quote that uh, the Mosaic Covenant is the one that controls the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants in that uh, receiving the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant depended on let me rephrase this the covenant of circumcision uh, depended on obedience to the law as given to Moses and the Davidic kings were responsible for copying the law and governing by it and enforcing it (coughs) so we went through several uh, passages last week and we left off in our discussion of the dualistic nature of the Abrahamic covenant which means that it contains the seed of the covenant of grace and the fully blossomed tree of the covenant of circumcision Uh, or to put this another way the covenant of grace exists in the Abrahamic covenant in the form of a promise but not a concluded covenant it's pointing forward the covenant of circumcision actually is uh, covenanted, officially covenanted with Abraham. Because Abraham is circumcised and he circumcises all the men of his household. Uh, there is in the covenant of grace a spiritual seed of Abraham, and in the covenant of circumcision there is a physical seed. And of course there are to the spiritual seed spiritual promises and to the physical seed physical promises. We had one more passage that we were going to consider. So we considered several. Um, we looked first of all in Genesis where um, the, this covenant was actually made. And then we looked at several passages in the New Testament that considered the different seeds of Abraham. Um, we had one more passage as we consider the um, the dualistic nature of the covenant and then after we get finished with that um, we're going to move into the elements of the covenant and its purpose uh, the first passage that we read though was Galatians chapter 4 verses 21 through 31 and this was our controlling passage last week um, I read this one first because I think that it sheds light to be able to properly understand the other passages um, we of course, have more light with the New Testament than they would have had prior to it. So uh, I read that one first kind of to help us understand better all the other passages. Uh, We have people here this week that were not with us last week, and frankly, it's been an entire week since we did this. So I'm going to start off by uh, rereading that passage. So this is going to be Galatians chapter 4. Uh, and again, it's verses uh, 21 through 31. And I can go ahead and tell you the other passage that we're going to read is one chapter back in Galatians 3. So you don't have to do a whole lot of flipping this time. <laughs> Alright, so starting with Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. 
Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, of course a reference to the Mosaic covenant. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So, there we see, we have Abraham. Bear in mind, there was a covenant made with Abraham. And the covenant made with Abraham has two descendants, so to speak, two streams. And these are two covenants. Okay? We have the covenant at Mount Sinai, covenant with Moses, the law. And then we have what would come to be known as the new covenant or the covenant of grace. And this is the one that we are part of. The promise. Yes, the promise. promise. Yes, the promise. Um, this is uh, this is why we can be counted, and we're about to read this, but this is why we can be counted sons and daughters of Abraham uh, as long as we're in Christ. So, <clears throat> that was the first passage. Now flip back one chapter to Galatians 3, and we're going to look at this entire chapter. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm going to get my throat cleared in a minute. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Uh, So Paul is talking about um, basically the perversion of the gospel that had occurred by the Judaizers. The idea that was uh, being brought forth by the Judaizers was that uh, in order to be saved, uh, they would admit you have to have faith in Jesus. But they also said that you have to be circumcised if you're a male. Uh, and perhaps you have to keep some aspect of the Mosaic Law. Um, I think there may have been variants in that, but there's some aspect. Um, but the main thing is circumcision. Okay, So it's Christ plus circumcision. right? Alright, so this is what Paul is arguing against. He's arguing for the true gospel, which is we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, plus or minus nothing. So he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, 
if indeed it was in vain. Actually, let me pause for a second. This right here, I, this is just a side note, but this right here is a great argument against uh, any sort of faith plus work system, and I'm specifically thinking of Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, it's not we are initially justified by faith and then we receive final justification, to use John Piper's term, by works. That's not right here what Paul says is having begun by the Spirit, that is faith. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Okay, <clears throat> he says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now last week we looked at where that passage comes from. That, that is quoting from Genesis 15. And we saw that Abraham was justified on the basis of his belief in the promise of his seed to come. So this was not justification on the basis of the covenant that followed that. This was justification on the promise of the seed to come. So he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Okay, there it is. We are the sons of Abraham, provided we have saving faith in Jesus Christ. It says in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So that promise that we saw in Genesis 15, Paul calls it the gospel. Saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. <clears throat> so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So in other words, the, the argument is you can't just have circumcision. If you're going to have circumcision, you've got to have it all is what Paul's saying. We can't have that variance that I was talking about. It's either all or nothing. <clears throat> now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by it. This was such an obvious point to Paul. He says it is evident. <clears throat> Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanging on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What is that? So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So he answers that question that he asked before uh, about did, did you, uh, how, how did he word that? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He answers it. We see that we receive it uh, through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards, so that's the Mosaic Covenant, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So in other words, that promise 
to Abraham is not voided out by the bringing in of the law. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Again, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is apart from works. This is prior to circumcision. Abraham had not been circumcised yet. There was no covenant of circumcision yet. And Abraham is said to be justified by his faith. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, again that's Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And again, this is how Abraham was justified. He believed the promise of his seed to come. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian, or some translations say that as schoolmaster or tutor. The idea is one who guides us. That, that's the idea. Um, he was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. In other words, it points us to the truth. It's not what saves us. It points us to what saves us. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Um, when we get into this, and I'm not planning to get too deep into it tonight unless it comes up in discussion, but... When we get into this, uh, this is one of the chapters that pedo-baptists try to use to try to show that we should baptize our babies. But I hope that you're seeing after we just read the whole thing, it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. It, it, it clearly distinguishes between this covenant of grace and this covenant of circumcision and essentially says this covenant of circumcision points us forward to Christ, but it does not save us. The promise of the seed to come. That's what saves us. Again, uh, Pascal Denault, Reformed Baptist scholar and pastor, states what I am asserting. He says, quote, The covenant of grace was revealed to Abraham, but the formal covenant that God concluded with him at this point was not the covenant of grace but the covenant of circumcision that Baptists consider to be, in essence, a further development of the old covenant. End quote. Alright, so, that covers the dualistic nature. Any uh, questions or other comments? Alright. So then we'll move into the elements of the covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. So Sam Renahan identifies three key elements of the Abrahamic covenant of circumcision. Number one, 
its federal head. Renahan states, quote, God made a covenant with Abraham as a federal head over his natural posterity. God tells Abraham that he will become the father of a great nation and that his descendants will inherit Canaan. Now again, we read this in Genesis 15 that when God passed through the pieces, this was that covenant. Because the promise associated with that was the land. Your descendants will inherit the land. And he defined what land he was talking about. It was not vague and it was not what is referenced in Romans uh, 4, the inheritance of the world. This was specifically that piece of land that we know as Palestine or Israel in the Middle East. Renahan continues, Participation in these promises depends on whether you are encompassed by the federal headship of Abraham. The blessings and curses of the covenant flow through the federal head. As goes the king, so goes the kingdom. End quote. Number two, the inheritance of Canaan, or we could say the covenant blessing. That'd be another way we put it. This point should not be understated. This is not merely the promise of a land but the promise of a kingdom. Again, Renahan states, This is the beginning of the kingdom of Israel. A realm has now been set aside for people belonging to a federal head. This covenant constituted Abraham and his descendants a kingdom people by promising them the land of Canaan. Now, I think some of the passages we read last week, that's evident. Uh, especially that dialogue that Jesus had with some of the Jews where they're going back and forth about whose father is who. They're basically saying, we've never been in bondage because we're the descendants of Abraham. And then Jesus goes on to show them, no, you, you're really the descendants of the devil and you are in bondage. And I'm the only one that can set you free. Um, but I, I, I still, I think we see this point being made in that conversation. Their uh, false assurance and um, belief of right standing with God and, and, and actually a right to a kingdom is based in Abraham. It's based in the covenant of circumcision. All right. Uh, and then point number three here is the blessing of the nations. Now this has reference to the promised seed through whom the nations would be blessed, that is, Christ. So this is the spiritual side of the coin, so to speak. So yet again, Renahan states, though God covenanted the birth of the Messiah to Abraham, this is first a promise of connection by birth, a connection according to the flesh. In other words, this covenant provides a descendant who will bless but it does not provide a relationship to that descendant beyond a common genealogy. The descendant will provide the blessing, and enjoyment of that blessing will depend on one's relationship to the descendant, not to Abraham. And then he continues, The old covenant is to give birth to the new covenant. The kingdom of Israel is to give birth to the kingdom of Christ. So these things are pointing forward. They're not meant to be eternal. They're, they're pointing forward. Um, and then one 
thing I wanted to show on this real quick. You don't even have to turn over there. But um, Matthew chapter 1 begins the genealogy of Jesus Christ this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, and, and, you know, we, we haven't got to the Davidic covenant yet, but so we see that what Renahan is saying there, though, is the blessings of this promise are based upon your connection to the seed, not to Abraham. All right, that was it on the elements. Does anybody have any uh, comments or questions or concerns or anything on that? Okay. All right. So our final section on the Abrahamic covenant, or at least the positive presentation of the 1689 Federalist view of the Abrahamic covenant, <clears throat> what's the purpose or purposes of this covenant? So first, as already stated, this covenant is, found, is the foundational basis for the kingdom of Israel. Consider the prelude to the historical Exodus event recorded in Exodus 2, 23 through 25. And I actually do want us to turn over there because this is given before uh, the giving of the law. This is the, I call it the prelude. Basically, this is the basis for God saying, I'm going to deliver Israel from Egyptian bondage. So Exodus chapter 2 and it's verses 23 through 25. Alright, it says, During those many days the king of uh, Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So, at least in part, the deliverance from Egyptian bondage is based in God's prior covenant obligation to Abraham, which was then passed to Isaac, and then passed to Jacob, and then passed to these Israelites through their father Jacob. As we will see, the Mosaic Covenant will build upon and expand this Abrahamic Covenant, but it is the Abrahamic Covenant which constitutes Israel a kingdom. They are a people now, at this point. More importantly, it contains within it the promise of the new covenant of grace. Renahan says of the connection between the Abrahamic and new covenants, quote, From its inception, the Abrahamic covenant is not just anticipating the new covenant, but carrying it within itself, end quote. So the idea there is that it's pregnant, so to speak. Israel is pregnant with the Messiah and his covenant and his kingdom. And that's the basis for Renahan's book. But I, I, I believe if we look at Scripture, he's right. Um, remember, we have the promise of the covenant of grace to come. 
and a formal covenant is concluded with Abraham. <clears throat> Renahan continues. Well, he's saying basically the same thing I said. I forgot I included this quote. The old covenant is pregnant with the new covenant. It promises the new covenant because it promises the mediator of the new covenant to be born from their midst. The Abrahamic covenant provides Christ. Christ provides the new covenant. So, that would conclude my presentation of the 1689 Federalist understanding of the Abrahamic covenant. Any comments or questions or anything? No. Okay, great. So everybody understood that fully and you can explain it back to me. <laughs> no, no pop quizzes on it. Okay. It definitely makes a lot more sense than it did last week to me. Good. Now. Good. Or I have a better understanding of it. Well, and I don't know. I hope you see the importance of it with just the, the positive presentation that I've made. But when I start to make negative presentations of other viewpoints of the Abrahamic Covenant, I think it'll become more clear why spend two lessons on this and why is this important. Um, like I said, I hope that you see that without those things. But once you do see those things, I think you'll really see why is this important. Because a misunderstanding of this covenant completely skews your understanding of the rest of them, including the new covenant. Um, a misunderstanding of this covenant is what leads to infant baptism, for example. Um, perhaps even um, the Judaizing heresy. Um, I think maybe that that more so would come along when we come to the Mosaic Covenant. But, I mean, still, you, you have uh, uh, positive laws that are mentioned in the Abrahamic Covenant. There's a positive law to circumcise. If you're not circumcising, uh, or if you're not circumcising, you're a male in this covenant, you're cut off. You're cut out of the covenant. You are covenantally speaking, cursed. Okay, well if we take that framework and then we try to smash that into the new covenant, suddenly now we are looking at exactly what Paul was arguing against. So this is uh, maybe more so even than the Mosaic and Davidic. I'm not sure. I'll leave that up to you. This is vital to get this right. Um, because we want to have a proper understanding of the new covenant, Christ's covenant. So we got to understand what built to that to have a right understanding. Because it can lead to believing you can get cut out of the new covenant. Yes. It can also lead, it has led to dispensationalism, a whole list of things. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, uh, that, that's why I'm talking I... talking about uh, an improper understanding of the Abrahamic covenant. No, no, right, right. So that, that's why I wanted to make sure that we spend sufficient time on this and try to make sure we do have an understanding of this because it's going to be key to understanding the rest because we don't want to get skewed um, I do think the Reformed Baptist or I like the term that I've recently heard Covenantal Baptist um, I do think they got it right and I, I think that what they've passed down to us is also it's right and we should hold to it as well. Um, not because they held it, but because I think that's what Scripture says. So, 
Any other concluding thoughts? All right, well, we will pray and dismiss them. Father, again, we thank you for bringing us together to study your word. And I pray that you would help us to continue to uh, think on these things and study these things and that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit as we do so. I pray that you would help us to come to a right understanding of what your word says uh, about everything that it says, but specifically the Abrahamic covenant and all of the covenants that preceded and followed it. Um, because this is how you relate to us. You relate to us through a covenantal framework. So help us to not misunderstand and then be led way off of the truth um, by, by one initial misunderstanding. Guide us into your truth by your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of this for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.